Israel. They were very confused. But um, especially when Paul got up on the bar and like kicked everyone's drinks off, that was that was a good moment. But uh, they all came back the next night. Firewater, and you're listening to WCBN 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor. You're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. The views and opinions expressed on WCBN Public Affairs programming are solely those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent those of WCBN as a whole or the licensees of this station, the Regents of the University of Michigan. You're listening to Closets Are for Clothes. I'm David Christopher Meitzler. On this episode of Closets, it's LGBT color at Closets and back to school. Eastern Michigan University in Ypsilanti and University of Michigan in Ann Arbor both have offices and systems in place to provide information and support for students and staff who identify as transgender, lesbian, gay, or bisexual. At Eastern, the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Resource Center, also known as the LGBTRC, is staffed by uh, full-time coordinators. The center offers educational training and facilitated dialogues for the classroom, student organizations, staff meetings, and special events. The social and educational events are intended for the entire university campus community and include lectures, movies, performances, panels, discussions, and conferences. At the U of M Spectrum Center, they have a range of education, information, and advocacy services and work to create and maintain an open, safe, and inclusive environment for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and similarly identified students, faculty, and staff. Also, their families and friends in the campus community at large. The Eastern Michigan Resource Center and the Michigan Spectrum Center are both providing a support system that is accessible and local, especially for students. With me today, I have a studio full of eager uh, participants. Uh, with me, we'll start uh, and we'll go around, and I guess I'll introduce your name and you can kind of in- say your voice uh, or mention your you know, hello, and, and that'll get the listeners kind of familiar with who you are and what you sound like. Uh, first, we have Chris, who is a live, real college student at the University of Michigan. Hello, Chris. Hi there. Hello. And then we have uh, Lena, 
and uh, you're working uh, with the Spectrum Center. Is that uh, true, or did um, I mess that up too? I'm a student. You're a student. You're a student at University of Michigan, and you uh, you've done. Uh, yeah, also involved with the involved Spectrum, with Spectrum Center. Center at U of M. Okay, thank you for helping with that, uh, Michael. You're an intern. I am an intern. Yeah. Okay, great for you. <laughs> and Mary Larkin, program coordinator at uh, the LGBTRC, uh, the support office over at Eastern Michigan University. Hello, Mary. That is correct. And Jess, a uh, program coordinator for the Women's Resource Center over at Eastern Michigan, and you were also uh, very active in uh, programming uh, events for the uh, office at Eastern. That is correct. Okay, great. Well, hello to everybody. We're going to talk today about uh, college. Because uh, if anyone is driving around now in Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti area, students are coming back in, in, in full swing, and they are uh, beginning to move back. And I want to talk a little bit first about the offices. We have the Spectrum Center at the University of Michigan. We have the LGBT uh, Resource Center at Eastern Michigan. Uh, who can tell me about the Spectrum Center and sort of how it all started, just uh, briefly? Well, very briefly. Um, yeah. The Spectrum Center started in 1971. Um, with Mr. Jim Toy, who was the founder. It was back then the Human Sexualities Office, um, and it has since then readjusted a few names. It was previously known as the Office of Lesbian, Bisexual, Transgender, Gay Affairs. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily in that order. Yeah. Um, and now it is known as the Spectrum Center. So they have a wide range of programs. Um, you know, everything from the Speakers Bureau program, which I actually run, um, to the, you know, coming out groups and all sorts of other things. So. Now, I read something that uh, recently that the U of M office was the first one like it in the country. It was, actually, yep, 1971. It was the first office of its kind in the country. So 71 doesn't seem so long ago, does it? It doesn't. So before that, there was nothing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I'm glad we've come at least as far as we've come, and, uh, and certainly off, um, more and more universities are supporting that. We're going to talk a little bit about the, what's available at other universities and, and everything. Uh, Mary Larkin from the Eastern uh, Michigan University office, the LGBTRC. Uh, can you tell me about that office, when did it, if you know when it started and, and its history? Yeah, so there was not a professional staff member for a long time. Uh, it was run by a graduate assistant. Uh, I had gone to school there in the mid-'90s, and it was just an office that was run by um, a student, basically, mm -hmm. at the time. It has gone through a lot of changes, just like Spectrum Center's name has changed so many times, so has ours. Um, and now we are part of a department, uh, the Department of Diversity and Community Involvement, which also houses the Women's Center, the Center for Multi cultural affairs uh, vision, which is our volunteering center. So it's really nice. We're in a centrally located place now in the student center. And we have one full-time program coordinator along with every other center and then a student staff. Uh, right now we have eight student staff and then a graduate assistant also. All right. Who can tell me what is the justification for having these offices? Why do the universities need to have them? Take it. Anyone? <laughs> Well, I know okay, that... Okay, Chris, you're, you're an actual college student. I'm an so actual yeah. college student. What's the reason we have these offices? Um, well, I know that um, coming into this university, I, like, one big thing was trying to come out and be more out with myself and more comfortable with myself. And um, I know I remember the Spectrum Center had an a open house. And just, like, having that resource and, like, getting to meet people and getting to meet, like, understand the resources mm -hmm. that the Spectrum Center provides on campus really helps with, like every other aspect of your experience and just being able to know that you could be comfortable and safe and at your university is really great experience. Were you out before you came to the university? Uh, I was, but not, um, 
to not to everyone. I was com- I was sort of coming out. I was sort of coming out at the summer before, and um, so I was really coming out more so when I finally got to school. Hmm. What about the situation where we have uh, you know someone who's just graduated high school and it's you know summertime the before they start college, and very possibly the college could be. Uh, you know, distant enough that they're away from their home territory where they have previously been, and maybe they're not out yet. Is the university a good place to start that process, the the coming out process as we've known it? I think it is. Um, Michael? The the Spectrum Center has a lot of they have what they call the GPS program, which is a it's guidance, perspective, and support. And they offer students who maybe not maybe questioning or maybe have not come out yet to their families or want to just start by being out, you know, in college. Um, they offer, well, just that, guidance, perspective, and support to those kinds of students, um, which I think has been very helpful in a lot of lives. So, Agreed. Uh, yeah, uh, being, being at home can sometimes be... In, uh, I, I don't want to say, I guess I want to say sort of a, a, a prison in a sense that someone who wants to be out or, or maybe is identifying uh, a gay or lesbian um, uh, tendency or, you know, identity, they can't do that at home. So the university is a place to do that. Yeah. Is it, and it, it, mm-hmm. Would you say that's true of all higher educational institutions? I think it's just different. I think... Um, my experiences and through talking with students, high school is so much more microscopic. You you see and hear so much more of individual lives. And when you go to college, it's bigger. So you have the option to not be under the microscope like you would. Um, meeting people that are LGBT is much easier at a university where you have thousands and thousands of students rather than maybe 20 or maybe 150 in your high school class. Did it? Yeah, go ahead. I also think it's important to kind of have that ally support, too. I mean, you, you meet other LGBT people, but we have, at Eastern, we found a huge ally population who can help us through that as well. You know, it's great to have that kind of support. Did anyone here at the table come from uh, a town, a smaller town with a smaller kind of high school environment and... and Michael, you're nodding your head. I, I did come from a smaller town. I came from Vicksburg, Michigan, um, but no one knows who that is. Yeah, so don't I just, feel bad if I... I just, I just tell people that I'm from Kalamazoo because no one knows where Vicksburg is. Um, mm-hmm. It's south of Kalamazoo. And I think there were, I want to say like 180 students in my graduating class. Um, so it was... And they're from... It's a very small town. It's a very conservative community. It was very hard to be out. Um, and so having the kind of support and, I mean, you know, the big ally base and just knowing that there are other people like you out there, it's, it's very helpful. Hmm. Anyone else come from a small area, small I, town? I didn't, but one yeah. of a student that I've uh, worked with for a number of years was from, graduated with 13 people in his class, and he came out when he was in school here uh, at college. And I just thought, I would have no idea what that feels like. 13 people when you're trying to hide yourself mm-hmm. is not easy. Yeah, so uh, by, by our definitions now, when we say the word conservative, we're suggesting that it's a, it's a population or it's a culture or it's a town or city that isn't necessarily going to be open to the idea of something unlike what the, mac, what, what the norm is. Is that true? Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the university, the college environment, whether it's at University of Michigan or Eastern Michigan University or Indiana State or Florida or California, anywhere, is some place for someone to be more open, more expressive, 
And I guess we find that the towns where these universities are are typically going to have a population. It's not just the university usually, but it's also the whole population of the local surrounding community yeah. that is typically open and supportive. Yeah. yeah. I actually remember, like, because um, I came from a uh, small town as well, I remember um, right before uh, school, I remember seeing, because University of Michigan has an event called Gaze Craze um, during the Welcome Week to sort of ring in like the new year and sort of support um, LGBT students and sort of show the, how all these organizations are really, really supportive. And I remember seeing the Facebook event um, and seeing that there was like 300 people in mm -hmm. like confirmed attending. And I was like so excited because it just seemed like just seeing that there's like really like diverse right. like large environment mm -hmm. where Being like there's hundreds <laughs> there's hundreds <laughs> yeah so that event will be going on this year again um that's gonna be on september 7 from 12 to 4 on palmer field um and we have i think 58 student groups signed up for that yeah i mean just really not all of them are lgbt but all of them are really affirming and very very um supportive and so they're really just there to lend their support and show that they're you know they're here and they're allies and they're ready we, we put that information out on our listserv actually last year for the gays craze because it is it, it shows how large the community is in the surrounding areas and i think it's really important that we aren't compartmentalized like that because right. we put our invite out we have a same it's called the welcome back bb queer this year but the same we hope that people from the community come not just people at eastern michigan right and and again these these uh, the ypsilanti and ann arbor are two towns that are very close to each yeah. other it's mm -hmm. a 10 minute drive from one to the other and they both have large universities mm -hmm. and so they both have within those universities support systems for gay lesbian transgendered bisexual uh or other right uh uh, students and that is really terrific. And so these offices are working together with students. So I mean, Eastern's office will su will support students from U of M, and yeah. U of M office will support students from Eastern. So it's mm -hmm. a, it's a very community uh, ground based effort. I want to give the websites to both places. Eastern's office is at emish.edu/lgbtrc. Their phone number is seven three four four eight seven four one four nine. University of Michigan office is at uh, website Spectrum Center dot umich dot edu their phone number is seven three four seven six three four one eight six and we'll give those numbers and addresses out uh more than once so uh before the student gets to a college university how can they do research uh or find out information to find a supportive university environment maybe they want to choose their university based on maybe secretly they want to choose it based on what kind of support systems they have so as as students what what do they do campuspride.org is the most amazing resource yeah. for any high school student in the country i think that's you, just my personal can you opinion. tell me about that site it is it lists hundreds of colleges right now now i don't know the last time he um had put it out there they were trying to reach for 300 colleges uh, and it gives them a campus climate rating. Actually, the University of Michigan and Eastern Michigan have the highest rating in the state um, right really? now. Yep, well, 4.5 out of 5. Yeah. And it has a report card, and it's basically things that would consider an inclusive and welcoming campus versus not inclusive and welcoming. And is that, do are there offices, are there centers, are there student groups, are there programmings, programs that happen? Do the faculty and staff back that? Do they teach it in their classes? Um so you can go on and you can look at pictures of the university. You can see quotes from LGBT students and ally students. gives you the direct link. You can – basically it's a one-stop shop for LGBT-friendly colleges. So. Campuspride.org. Mm -hmm. That sounds terrific. I'm writing it down as we speak. <laughs> and um, why southeast Michigan? Why is this area the, 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 the jewel in Michigan for that kind of support system? 
Who knows? Is everyone from um, Southeast Michigan? I am from Ann Arbor. I grew up actually right on the edge of Ann Arbor and Ipsy. Um, so my parents actually went to U of M. My sister goes to Eastern, and my brother graduated from U of M, so we are kind of integrated into the Ann Arbor community. Um, in my personal experience, just growing up in Ann Arbor, I think it's because Southeast, Southeastern Michigan offers a lot of diversity. I grew up with people who looked like me and people who looked much different from me um, every single day. And I think that having that type of variety um, to foster different experiences um, is just something that's kind of spread through that area. And uh, I think it's natural that that diversity kind of spread into the universities as well. Anyone else? I agree. <laughs> Michael? Okay. Um, do you think that is coming off of Detroit being the big city of you know, mm-hmm. Michigan? No? You think it's, what, what do you think it is? I think it's kind of its own Michael. entity. Um, I, I think that, that because there are so many students that come to the University of Michigan and there are so many, you know, in and, and, and Eastern Michigan and every other university around here, um, I think that because there are so many different people who come from so many different backgrounds and so many different walks of life, um, I think it's every state and however many countries, you know, across the world, I think that just creates a very different environment. And... Um, you know, it really helps to foster different experiences, just like Lena said. And, you know, I, I think that really helps make it a more liberal area and a more yeah. liberal space. Yeah, indeed, if you're walking around the campus of either university, you're seeing people from all parts of the world. And it's for, for you know, for me, as an example, it was right in my backyard. I didn't have to go anywhere. They, they came across the world mm-hmm. to come to this, mm-hmm. you know, to this area. And I would wonder, I would beg to differ, though, maybe not southeast Michigan as much as the Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti area mm-hmm. because of the universities, because I know that we get a lot of students, and I'm sure you do, that are from outlying areas. And I won't name cities where they'll say, no, there was not one LGBT person in my school. There was not a GSA, you know, and we're talking 12 miles away or mm-hmm. 20 miles away mm-hmm. from here. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, now let's talk about living arrangements. So we've decided to go to a university like Eastern or for U of M. And as a gay or lesbian or transgender person, how do we find a living space that will be supportive? So living space in the form of a dormitory or apartment, uh, most likely a dormitory. Where's, where does the student go for that, the, the future student? I think that the Spectrum Center has a list, um, a housing list. And it, I don't know if it's necessarily um, tailored towards dorms. I think that any person can put a housing request on there, but it is usually um, gay-friendly places and uh, trans-friendly places and um, ex- more accepting places that are put on the, the housing list on the Spectrum Center website. Um, in terms of dorms, I'm not really sure where you would look. Does anyone else know? Well, you can always check. Um, um, I'm sure it's the same for, for EMU. Um the university usually has a policy, a policy of non-discrimination or something like that. You pick up clues as to, even when you're picking a school, is this a place that I would like to be? Is this a place I'm going to be comfortable? And I think looking at their policy for discrimination is a good step in that direction. Um, you can also look at their um, their housing websites, and usually it's posted right there. You can uh, find out or even call the, the offices and find out, how do I get placed with a roommate? Um, last year I lived on campus for the first time. And um, I kind of went into it in a with a blind, you know, mating process and uh, wound up with a really great roommate. But part of it was also that I knew that if um, things didn't work out between us by talking to people at the university, I knew that I also had other options. And uh, so I think 
understanding what your resources are on campus and looking for resources off campus is a good clue as to whether or not you even want to, uh, you know, to live on campus or off campus or if you want to go to that university. Yeah, where can we maybe find word of mouth information? You know, uh, fortunately, we have some bookstores in the area, and they, we can ask around there, and people hear things about places to live or perhaps dormitories. I mean, I was talking about this with a friend of mine, and she was telling me that the at Indiana University, uh, uh, the dormitory Reed Hall, the third floor, was known as the gay floor. So it was pretty well known within the student population where there were where there was housing. Mary, any uh, anything like that at, at Eastern Michigan University? It's a hot topic right now because um, a student actually is leading an initiative for gender neutral housing, and we are t- really taking our time with that one though because, um, and I'm I'm speaking from my own perspective. Jess could also comment on how she feels about it. Eastern Michigan really tries hard on a case case basis, just like you're saying. If someone if someone comes to them first and says, I don't think I'm going to be comfortable living with other people because of their sexuality or their gender identity, we'll do what we need to do in that or change that if it's necessary. But it's sometimes I think depending on the university, general neutral housing is almost like saying then it's not going to be comfortable in our standard housing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't mm-hmm. feel that way at Eastern. We feel like for the most part, you're comfortable, just like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you said. So that's our hope first. Mm-hmm. I think it has to do more so with like kind of what Mary was saying, the micro level instead of the the macro level, like the micro as far as, you know, um, how are the RAs going to handle a situation? How are, you know, the um, office assistants and everybody else who's involved with the complex going to handle a situation like that? So I think that kind of makes it a little easier I think for a lot of students who might have an issue. All right. So let's say we get into a situation. We're living somewhere. We're in a dorm room. We're in an apartment or a shared house. And we have we have roommates. We have housemates, sweet mates. How do we size one up to know if they're friend or foe? I just hoped. I, uh, <laughs> that's that's how I I, I, I hoped. And um, it kind of just, just came out one day. I mean, you have to, I don't know. I was comfortable enough with it, I guess, because I was out in high school and i just said well it's now or never so well, at some point you got to show the rainbow flag right <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that was the you first, know, that was the first your, day i forgot you're about bringing that. in your boxes of things and you know you have uh you have your pro you have your your, your prayed stuff you have your uh, your books your your videos whatever it is that, that helps you identify with with your with your culture you're unpacking it because this is going to be your living space for the next you know four to eight to, to, to ten months and uh, at some point you got to break that ice mm-hmm. with with your new roommate mm-hmm. how do you do that i think it's important though yes. to notice at first that you have to be safe and then you have to think Absolutely. of your own well-being and this is exactly what i said to students in high school is that you know we have to understand that the way the world works right now not everybody is going to be okay with this so we as students and as people in general have to make sure that we're safe and so it, sometimes it might be hard to kind of I guess, you know, decipher the situation when you get there. But I don't think bringing out a rainbow flag your first day is going to be the best Mm -hmm. situation for you. So you really need to think, what's going to keep me safe and can we go from here? Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point because um, the last two years um, I transferred to to Michigan. Before that, I went to to WCC. So I lived at home. Um, So coming to Michigan was a change of pace for me. Um, And I wasn't out before. And once I got to Michigan that summer before, I had come out to everyone. So it was just a great opportunity for me to say, this time around, I'm going to do things different, different school, um, different attitude. Um, And living off campus meant I had to get roommates. And I started to think, what am I going to do when it comes time to come out to them? Because I have to um, in order for me to be comfortable. 
um, and in order to be, you know, good, a good roommate to them, they need to know certain things about me and I want to know certain things about them. Um, but I think one of the most important things is that uh, you feel safe. And college is a good place to push your boundaries, to do things that you might not have done before. But if you don't feel safe, that's a different story. So provided that you do feel safe, um, you might just want to, as you're getting to know people, as you're unpacking, maybe you're unpacking together, um, have some conversations about, uh, you know, what you like to watch on TV, what music you like, um, where you like to go, those types of things. And maybe as you feel comfortable and you're ready to push that boundary to come out to someone, um, usually those conversations kind of come up. But the first thing is you have to feel safe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everyone's in agreement, I think, with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, we are going to come back and to talk about uh, roommates and related issues. I have a room full of people here, uh, Chris and Lena and Michael and Mary and Jess, and we're all talking about the support systems at University of uh, Michigan and uh, Eastern Michigan University. You're listening to Closets Are for Clothes from the Gay Radio Collective. Next is the book report from Keithor at Common Language Bookstore. Thank you, David. When I heard that today's show was to be a back-to-school program, I immediately thought of Greg Heron's completely academic anthology, Frat Sex, Stories of Sex in College. However, on careful examination, I discovered it wasn't so academic after all. Kids coming to college as freshmen are often able to express themselves freely for the first time in their lives. There are a number of excellent books about the coming out process. Many schools have great resources for gay and questioning youth like the Spectrum Office at the University of Michigan or the LGBT Resource Center at Eastern Michigan University. In addition, kids may want to check out resources that will help them come out to their friends and family. Books such as Loving Someone Gay and Now That You Know are classics of the genre. You may also want to check out Mom, Dad, I'm Gay for that first trip back home. However, there are also resources designed especially for young people and uh, college students. The Princeton Review put out an exceptional guide. It's titled The Gay and Lesbian Guide to College Life, a comprehensive resource for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender students and their allies. Um, Authors are John Baez, Jennifer Howd, Rachel Pepper, and the Princeton Review publishing staff. Um, Princeton has been an extremely uh, forward-looking institution on LGBT issues. This particular book is talks about how that um, college is a time of exploration. It's a time to find oneself and come to grips with your self-identity. Uh, it features real-life stories and addresses specific challenges that lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender students face during their college years. Um, It's taken from advice from students and administrators at more than 70 of the nation's top colleges. Let's you know how to thrive on campus as a LGBTQ uh, student, including tons of student testimonials and dozens of parent tips. Uh, It's an excellent guide um, for college students. Of course, you may already have come out by the time you're selecting a college, in which case what you really need is a guide to help you figure out what school you're going to. Um, Just a couple of years ago, the uh, advocate and publisher Allison Books teamed up together to produce the Advocate College Guide for LGBT Students. And what um, it did is it looked at campus officials and LGBT college students, got input from them um, to 
profile a hundred U.S. institutions and came up with a GPA or gay point average on critical LGBT issues such as gay affirmative policies, campus events, queer student perspectives, housing for LGBT students, local gay hangouts, gay-friendly support resources, queer studies, and more. So that's an excellent resource as well. Of course, back to school can be for LGBT high schoolers and even junior high or middle school kids. Two of my favorite resources are Outlaw by Nancy Keene and uh, GLBTQ, The Survival Guide for Queer and Questioning Teens by Kelly Hugel. Both are directed at high school age kids but have a lot of overlap for undergrads as well. I'd like to start with Outlaw. It addresses questions like, can a high school principal make you cover up your gay pride t-shirt? What can you do if school officials say your gay straight alliance can't meet on school grounds? And if you tell your doctor you're gay, does he or she have to share that information with your parents? Uh, Nancy Keene has been writing about LGBT legal issues for over 20 years, and, and in this book she addresses specifically for um, gay kids. It's um, an incredible book. just came out a couple, um, about a year ago. Um, highly recommend it. And again, while the subject matter is directed at high school kids' legal rights, some of the same issues apply to undergrads. GLBTQ is an incredibly accessible book and amazingly compact for the amount of information it contains. When this book came out, it was an instant common language bestseller and continues to be a favorite of LGBT youth. Let me read just a few items from the table of contents to give you an idea of the breadth of the topics covered. Uh, they cover things like homophobia. Actually, they start off with, uh, appropriately for a um, school setting, GLBTQ 101, and then um, goes on to things like homophobia, coming out, life at school, GLBTQ friends, dating and relationships, sex and sexuality, staying healthy, religion and culture, transgender teens, work, college and beyond. Just... Um, and it's, it is, as I say, not a big book. It's incredibly accessible, covers a lot of issues um, clearly, concisely. And finally, I wanted to mention a fun and useful survival guide. It's not specifically geared to LGBT folk, but its message is universal. It's titled, The Naked Roommate and 107 Other Issues You Might Run Into in College. Uh, it's expert and student advice about roommates, relationships, classes, friends, finances, dorm life, sex, no sex, alcohol, Greek life, laundry, and everything that really matters in college. And I guess what really matters would include frat sex. So Greg Heron's book on stories of sex in college just might be academic after all. Thanks for tuning in. This is Keith Orr from Common Language Bookstore. Keith Orr with the book report at Common Language Bookstore, brick and mortar based in Ann Arbor and on the web at glbtbooks.com. At that website, you will find a link to their storefront that allows you to order books online and have them shipped directly to you. The phone for Common Language is 734-663-0036. I'm David Christopher Meitzler, and you're listening to Closets Are for Clothes.
fever. He said, after all, it's going to rain after all for 40 days and for 40 nights. And the people didn't believe in him. And they began to laugh at him. And they began to mock him. And they began to say, it ain't going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. 090909CE. Dearly beloved, WCBN FM Ann Arbor is proud to present Prince and the Revolution versus Morris Day and the Time in the historic motion picture event Purple Rain. Purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka and then come to Arbor Brewing Company on Wednesday, September 9th at 9 p.m. for a free screening of Prince's greatest film, Purple Rain. Brought to you by your saviors at WCBN FM Ann Arbor. You're listening to the Gay Radio Collective on 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Write us at closets at gayradiocollective.org. You can also find archive shows on our website or the weekly broadcast on iTunes. Support for WCBN and Closets Are For Clothes comes from the community and listeners like you. Hear WCBN anytime at the website wcbn.org. Welcome back. You're listening to Closets Are for Clothes. The song uh, we heard partially was Steer by Missy Higgins. We have a room full of people tonight uh, from both the University of Michigan Spectrum Center and the Eastern Michigan University Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgendered Resource Center. We have Chris and Lena and Michael. We have Mary and we have Jess. And we're talking about the university position. We're talking about support for students of uh, students who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, bisexual, maybe even just questioning who says they have to even identify necessarily. We're, they are representing support offices, the Spectrum Center and the LGBTRC at Eastern. And we were talking previously about roommates and sizing one one. We talked about that. And uh, roommate assignment, if things don't work out, how do we get a change? Who do we talk to about that? Yeah. If on our campus, roommates don't work out. On I would assume on campus we are talking about RAs. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I know. So I don't the know. Resident advisor. Yeah, the resident advisor, and we actually just did a, a training for the housing professional staff, just the LGBTRC did, mm-hmm. um, and the hope is that RAs know how to handle that situation, or if they don't. Uh, to figure out who to direct them to to do, but I would say definitely the RA is the first line of defense in trying to change. Mm-hmm. And if you sign up for an apartment somewhere, you uh, your options are much more limited. You're not you know necessarily going to be able to get out of a lease. So it may be a situation where you're out on campus and free on campus, and you are yourself on campus. But when it comes when you come back to your apartment at night or whenever. You have to sort of remain in a in a closet, and that's and again that's because of concern for one's safety, or that's because you feel that you're not you can't really express yourself. So it's almost perhaps like being at home, in that sense, uh, because if you came to the university to learn about things, pursue a degree, and also you have a chance to express yourself, you may not be able to always do that. So just attending university doesn't mean that it's going to be a rosy rosy picture all the way. Any uh, comments on that? Just nods in the affirmative. Okay, <laughs> thank you. All right. Um, what a, a complicated issue. What if uh, where? What if I'm attracted to my roommate? Well, that's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is awkward. Um, gosh, I don't even know what to do about well, that. I, I can't ahead, say Lena. that I've, I've experienced <laughs> that myself. Um, being attracted to a roommate, although I have. Um, you know, I have found my roommates attractive uh, before. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, you know, seeing someone as a beautiful person, um, either for what they look like or, or who they are or the things that you guys have in common. Um, yeah, I, when when you live with somebody for a year, uh, you know, a lot can happen. Um, you're going to spend a lot of time together. Um, and I don't think it's something that you really have to, you know, be really afraid of if you are attracted to your roommate. Um, the attraction might be mutual, you know, like with people and relationships, a lot of things can happen. Um, so if that does happen, um, it's, it's just kind of a part of, you know, living with that person, uh, being friends with that person and, uh, just like any other relationship. The perception might be that if, uh, if they're at a university, there is some type of living arrangement that is supportive of lesbian, gay and bisexual people that that type of living environment is just going to be nothing but a wild party and it's you know it's going to be a lot of sleeping around and all this because it's a oh it's a gay dorm it's a they all sleep with each other is that true wrong no. yeah no perpetuating the stereotype mm-hmm. no uh, lgbt people have the same sex drive that everyone else yeah. does in yeah. the world uh i think that that's always that's one of my favorite is that Gay people are attracted to everyone. You know that the second there's one gay man in a room with straight men, or just any man, think yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Right. Um, that it's not. It, you know, you work it out the same way anybody else. I always just say, especially you know when you're talking to two guys that are trying to figure out, like heterosexual guys that are at an ally training, maybe. And I say, when you walk into a room, are you attracted to every woman that's in that room? And their response is always like, oh no, oh, okay, it's the <laughs> same for that gay guy. So. It seems to be hard for for straight people to to understand that whole aspect. Uh, uh, yeah, you you hit the nail well, on the head though because they want to make it about sex. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, while it, while it maybe it is okay to to be attracted to your roommates and maybe find your roommates attractive, but I would not suggest becoming involved with them because that would make things super awkward. 
Um, you know, I mean, you guys, you have to share a space and you only get the one room. And, and if you were to act on that, I feel like that would make things really not good. I suppose it'd be even more complicated if you're in a suite and there's, let's say, three or four people in a room. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. two of them would, you know, be developing a fondness for each other. That can be that can make things unpleasant yeah, and complicated. So we're really talking about general social skills and life skills and it's not really a gay issue. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, absolutely not. All right. All right. So we're in class or we're in our dorm and we start to hear uh anti-gay comments. We start to hear jokes that are uh uh, defamatory uh, toward gay and lesbian people, off color, wrong things that make us feel bad, uh, uncomfortable. How do we handle that? I definitely think this is a really big role for the ally to play, um, no matter mm-hmm. who you are. I think that, you know, when someone, a man tells a sexist joke, I think it has so much more power when a man says, hey, you know what, that's not okay. You can't, you can't do that. I think it has so much more um, power in that. So when you hear the word gay or you know anything else or like oh that's so gay or something like that i think it there's so much more power behind an ally saying you know what that's not okay and this is why and i'm not gay but i can still stand up for something like that can a gay person tell a gay joke mm-hmm. is it okay I mean, sure can. Yeah. Sure can. <laughs> um, I've, oh, sorry. I've actually been trying to work on this because uh, I am off the cuff sometimes and I realize that I perpetuate the stereotype sometimes by making jokes that I know other gay people are going to laugh at because I know that we all share in that same stereotype. And actually one of our graduate assistants said, that might be your own self-hatred and homophobia. And <laughs> although she was kidding, maybe true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I agree with Jess that the ally is so crucial in those moments of uh, – you know, kind of intervening and saying. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. so Jess, you were, you were given the scenario of intervening and saying that that's not appropriate. Do we do that? In, in, uh, do we pull them aside? When, when is the right time to, to make that little education moment, you know, where we say what you said is uh, considered, you know, insulting? Um, well, I definitely think the safety thing kind of comes into play. You know, can you do it in class? Um, I know sometimes I might call people out in front of other people if it's like a smaller group and saying, okay, look at, if you can do it in like a, maybe a funny way or a, you know, something like where you think that they would understand and go, you know what? I am really sorry about that. I'm really sorry. I said that, you know, and, but if you don't think it's going to be a very pleasant thing, um, you know, take them outside, um, mention something to them, drop them a little note. Um, don't be <laughs> passive aggressive on your Facebook page. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, think about the way that you communicate with that person, but you have to think about your safety and your well-being first and foremost. And if you're not comfortable talking to the specific student, you can always talk to, you know, say it was someone in class, you can always talk to your teacher after class or um, you go visit them during office hours and say, you know, this this made me really upset. Um I mean, it doesn't always have to be allies either. I mean, LGBT people can can stand up and say, you know what, I'm offended by that, and this is why. Um, or, I mean, if you can do it somehow, some witty way, that'd be nice too. But, um, you know, I mean, if you're not comfortable standing up for yourself, you know, ta- saying that in the middle of class or, you know, in, in that environment, then absolutely you go to your teacher and you say, you know, this made me really uncomfortable. Can you keep a lookout for this? And, and you know, in my experience, I've done that before, and in my experience... It is actually, you know, they're, they're always very like, you know, I'm sorry I didn't hear that. I would have said something then, you know, thank you for telling me. Yeah. What what role do the teachers have in the classroom? Um, actually, I teach sociology at yeah. Eastern. And, um, you know, I brought um, LGBT students into my class and we can kind of unpack that in class. And it's... I mean, it's it's difficult. It is. But I think that there's there's a lot of professors, especially on our campus. I can't speak for you, Ben, but I'm sure it's the same there. You know, in de- depending on what department 
you're in, you know, they want to talk about it. Sociology and criminology classes, social work classes, women and gender studies classes, um, communications, psychology, you know, they really want to talk about these LGBT issues because it's part of, you know, what you're going to be dealing with when you when you graduate. So I think it is a huge part in the classroom, um, especially to um, promote equality. Um, I think that's, you know, we look up to our professors, hopefully a lot of them, and it's really a good platform for them to say, okay, hey. That they treat it the same. That if it's because they're uncomfortable and that's why they're not taking care of a situation, I I would find a problem with that. But if they're just the kind that stands back and doesn't do that, then I think that's different. What, what, should, what should we do when they if they just stand back? I I would say there's always room in every department for a suggestion, and I think that. A lot of times a student voice is probably the strongest voice. And if a student feels that way, to go to a department head, it's usually pretty anonymous when you sit down and say, hey, I have this person, I have this professor, and this is the issue that's happening. It's usually a pretty good chance it'll get worked out. I'm going to suggest that if, if you, and especially if you have a comment or, or something was done that was offensive uh, or that you're relating an incident that happened, that writing it down is mm-hmm. very important. Mm-hmm. Because yes. the really nice thing about writing down complaints or, or writing a letter is that that letter is easily shared. It's copied. It's said, it's, it's passed from you know one hand to another saying, look at this. Did you see what this student wrote? Whereas if you just, if you go spouting off and you do some kind of, you know, you know threatening or you, you just get angry, and you verbalize everything. There's there's no there's no holding power to that necessarily, so it's better better to uh, write. Michael, you had a comment. I was just going back to um, the comment just made that most most teachers do want to talk about it, and a lot of the teachers in the sociology department, um, both on campus and off, actually of U of M's campus, um, request speakers bureau panels specifically to bring up topics yeah. like that. And mm-hmm. the speakers bureau is. Um, an educational outreach program that the Spectrum Center has that um, that basically a volunteers from our database come in and they've been trained and they come in and basically tell their story and they invite comments and questions and they, they have a, like a question and answer session and they'll talk a little bit about, you know, what this word means or what it means to be this identity and, and we have allies involved in it and we have, you know, all kinds of people from different backgrounds involved in it and, um, you know, so a lot of teachers will bring those in specifically to broach those kinds of topics, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, I think that's really important because yeah. um, one reason I've, I've experienced that people make comments that, um, you know, someone else might find offensive is because they might not realize um, who they're talking about when they say things. Uh, for example, um, my little brother once said, that's so gay. And I said to him, what do you mean when you say that? Um, because he didn't realize when he was saying that he was saying that to his gay sister, you know, putting a face mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. I think people say things just to be cool and they don't really mean it, but they just don't realize what they're saying. Yeah. I remember, um, Chris. Fr- freshman year that, uh, as I started, like I would have, there would be a lot of gay jokes in, um, the, in, in my hall. And as I started coming out to people, you'd be surprised how the environment around you changes. And like, because they become, so, they're becoming aware. Because they're becoming aware. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I remember a few times I'd be like, really? Like, is that gay? And like, <laughs> and like, just sort of make an offhand comment just so they'd be conscious of what they're doing. But after I started coming out to more people in my hall, more people started, like some of my friends would start saying things and sort of become more supportive. And that's where the ally thing came. Were you the only one on your hall that was sort of out and vocal? Um, I mean, you couldn't have been the only one, right? Um, I was I was at, in the first month or so, um, but I think there was a few others that sort of became more vocal. 
Because it's it's the people who are out are sort of setting a tone. And if the people who are out represent a security and a comfort with themselves, that, that, that they're being a leader. And so other students who are questioning or insecure about these feelings they're having or don't even understand them, they see, well, oh, that person says that, that he's gay and... He's perfectly happy and comfortable, and, and he seems to be uh, – he's clean, and he takes care of himself, and he's, he seems smart. Oh, I could be like that too. I think it, it's really important what you have with the Speakers Bureau. You know, we have that at Eastern. It's called EPEC, Eastern Pride Education Coalition. And I think it really – for LGBT people to be leaders and for a whole classroom to be in a very safe, hopefully, classroom setting and for those people to see these – Oh, four live gay people right, right. in front of their faces. Yeah. It's like, yeah. that's not what I thought they looked like. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, right. And some have really horrible stories and some have awesome stories. And so when you see the whole spectrum, because if you, if you see someone who's just all like, yes, I've had a great time with it. My parents are okay with it. I'm happy. I'm in a relationship. Everything's fine. And you have that student who's watching you going, actually, my parents aren't okay with it. My friends aren't okay with it. My roommate's not okay with it. They're not going to have anything to relate to. So I think it, first of all, it it does depend on on who you are as an LGBT person and and your story. And I think that having these speaker bureaus in our schools and in a safe space in the classroom definitely helps out with, with that perspective. And I mean, there are the students who stand up and after, you know, during the Q and A session, they'll say, you know, what does it feel like to know that God hates you? Or, I mean, they'll, they'll use one of those things and they're, they're usually, I mean, to be honest, they look kind of ridiculous when they do that because of, I mean, you've just told your entire story and put your whole life out there for everyone to see. And they're asking you, you know, well, God hates you. So, and then, so, I mean, usually they're countered pretty well with students kind of glare them down and, um, you know, in the classroom and their peers will just kind of look at them like, are you crazy? Really? You just said that, you know, are they, are the other students responding to that person saying God hates you? Are they they responding because it's inappropriate for him to express that belief or because it's perhaps a, not in line with what the other students are feeling or or what's wrong with that belief i mean there's you know it's perpetuating hate Mm -hmm. i think and i think the way they they frame it especially after these people have just come in and said you know this is my story Mm -hmm. um i i think that the way it's 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 framed by the people who ask that sort of makes it more obvious that it's perpetuating that kind of hatred how are students who are part of these speaker bureaus trained to respond to that we use the uh, the Lara method, or the Clara method, yeah, like, um, yeah. <laughs> which is listen, affirm, respond, and add information. Um, and the the Clara method is just calm down, listen, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. that, take likely, a second. Yeah, that's yeah. likely yeah. to so raise you say, one's pulse rate. You say, you know, you stop, you stop, and you just go, and then you know, you, yeah. you're like, okay, I hear what you're saying, and you say something like, you know, that's. You know, my religious beliefs are also very important to me. And, you know, I, I hear you in that. And then you say, you know, but I, I don't think that God hates me. And if you or, you know, whatever their comment was, and you say, if you want to talk later, we can we can talk about this, you know, after we're done. We always also try to have a facilitator that is not on the panel so that that's the person that's combating that. And it, the panelists don't feel like they have to because mm. I think that mm-hmm. that changes things if you are on a panel and you feel like you have to answer that question. And a lot of times, especially with the religious, and we get the same exactly mm-hmm. like you're saying, I mean, the verbatim. How does it feel that you're going to go to hell? It's not even mm-hmm. a question. It's a statement, really. Mm-hmm. And we just say, you know what? We're not going to combat that today. But if you would like to come to the resource center, we'll we'll throw out other resources we have, like for the Bible tells me so. But that this isn't the place for that because that's not our story. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, getting back to talk of, of, uh, of, of off-color remarks and jokes, Chris, as an actual college student, have, have you experienced any of that in any of your classes? You, you mentioned about the dorm, the dorm situation, the living situation. What about in the classes? In my classes, no. Yeah. Um, I don't think – I've never – I don't I, – I mean, I've been mostly in humanities and social sciences, so I'm a sociology major as well. So uh, most of my classes have been very gay-friendly. Um, and especially like some classes like sociology, sexuality, like gays are in the majority of that class. So um, I haven't really found anything in my classes, no. Okay. There are uh, there are some classes which are perhaps geared toward uh, gay and lesbian, mm-hmm. transgender, bisexual <laughs> people. What are some of those classes which are available at Eastern Michigan and University of Michigan? Um, I know I mentioned a few before, but sociology yes. classes, we have great allies in the sociology, anthropology, criminology department at Eastern. Um, Women and Gender Studies program has tremendous allies. Same with social work, um, communications and theater arts, um, psychology. And we do have specific in... Um you know, that are LGBT population classes. I took a history of LGBT individuals when I had gone to school there, and there are those classes. But I think, too, just like you were saying, uh, there's so many classes that are geared towards it just because you know it's a friendly space. Mm -hmm. I mean, like sociology and knowing that you're going to tackle those. The University of Michigan had a class some years ago, and I don't know if they still have it, on, uh, was it called How to Be Gay or something? Is that still there? No, it's not. It was a a one-credit class um, that... I think taught by an English professor about just basically how to relate. It was just a, a teaching, like, how to relate to gay stereotypes and how to sort of hold mm-hmm. yourself. Um, I never took the class personally by friends who had taken it. Um, but um, there was an uproar about the class um, from a lot of Michigan. and um, So I, an uproar from the local community and also perhaps students and, and instructors? Like, it was too controversial? Yeah, I think but, it was more... Um, mm-hmm. From my understanding, I don't think it was quite as much the university community that was upset about the class, um, but it was more of outside pressure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think it wasn't necessarily that the reason that it went away was because of the pressure, but I know that – because I know that the professor who taught it went away. But it okay. was there are also There are also classes, um, you know, in the University of Michigan – like there's a social sexuality, there's a psychosexuality, right. there's the history mm-hmm. of sexuality. Yeah. I mean, there's also the entire women's studies department. Um, they have a whole LGBTQ minor, um, mm-hmm. LGBTQ studies minor, and I mean they all they're super allies. And there's a lot of you know LGBTQ people who teach it, and so it okay. makes it for a very you know affirming environment. All right. So now let's say we've been at the university and our colleges. Uh, for a while, we've been taking classes. We're getting quite comfortable. We're out, and now we go home for the holidays. Mm, my favorite oh, part. Oh, no. <laughs> Careful. So how do we do that? What do, I, uh, do we come back into this little box that maybe we were living back at home? Or how do we – how do you – you know, you've expanded now that you're out in college, and now you've got to go back home. Is that a good time to come out for the holidays? I think you the safety comes first. Yes. You You have to think about yourself and – this is going to be a safe space for me. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's not. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I agree. I think that you have to have a plan. Um, and you can't just be like, spur of the moment, you know, oh, I'm going to come out now. Yeah, so um, please pass the potatoes. And I'm gay. I'm gay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm gay. Pass me the, the <laughs> you know. And, and then it, the mo- like, did, did, he, did she say she's floors me how many people say they came out on Thanksgiving. Yes. I can't I mean, like, it, it just yeah. comes out, all yeah. the time. I'm like, are we kidding when we say that? Or no, we're being serious. But mm-hmm. like we always say, I would never advise. It, it is totally. You have to have a plan. You have to have a support system. 
like you, I think you mentioned earlier, we go away for that first year of college. We feel like we were on fire. We have our rainbow flag. We want the world to know. But you do have to remember that your family, hopefully, usually is coming from the place that cares about you. And and there is kind of a process to go mm-hmm. through, like you were saying, hopefully. So have some kind those. of a plan, an exit plan, maybe. Some okay. <laughs> right. dinner yeah. in case <laughs> one doesn't work out. A secondary plane ticket. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess maybe it's Thanksgiving because that's the first time that the students really return right. home after after you know yeah. it's, it's only November mm-hmm. that it's going to happen. Yeah. For me, with uh, with coming out. Um, I made a decision that said, uh, I'm not going to lie to anybody. So if my cousin asked me about my boyfriend, um, I would say, well, her name is, you know, um, so I decided I wasn't going to lie. Um, and that's a promise I made to myself. Um, however, I did have a plan when I came out to my parents, I had read some things and, um, you know, you want to do something that's comfortable for you. But one of the best things that I read from a book, um, was to have an escape route, if you want to call it such a thing. Um, which is pretty much if you're going to come out to the person that you might be the most fearful to come out to, you might want to come out to them at a time when you'll be able to get away if you need to have some space. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you'll have plans with a friend later on that day and you can spend the rest of the day outside of your house. Or maybe it's right before you go back to, to college or university. Mm-hmm. So that might be a, a good route. That way you can say it and hop on a plane if you need to mm-hmm. and, you know, go back and get back focused on school. So yeah. not in a car. <laughs> Don't come out in a car. Don't okay. come out in a car. Yeah. No, because then you're Safety. stuck in that little box with nowhere else to go. Wow. And uh, okay. And so having a having a plan. That's that's the basic point of reference. And your support system is still there at the university. And you've maybe mm-hmm. acquired some friends, and you're going to keep going to that support system when you go back. And and uh, Spectrum Center and the LGBTRC have coming out. Um, guides, really. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you have pamphlets and information, both for the, the, the person who's coming out, but also for family members mm-hmm. and ways for them to find support. So those uh, web addresses, again, for the LGBTRC are emish.edu slash LGBTRC, and their phone number at Eastern, 734-487-4149. At the University of Michigan, it is the Spectrum Center, and that's at spectrumcenter.umich.edu. Phone number 734-763-4186. And uh, where is the office located for the LGBTRC, real quick? In the Student Center. In the Student Center. What about the Spectrum Center? In the Union. In the Union. Third floor. Okay. Same, third floor. Hey. Hey. Fourth floor is the place to be. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) There's something about the third floor. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you very much to my guests. We had uh, Mary Larkin, Jess Kleine. Is it Kleine? Klein. Klein, Klein, sorry. Uh, 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 Michael DeGraff, Chris Armstrong, and uh, Lena Thompson. Did I get get everybody right? Yeah, Yeah, you did. (laughs) Thank you all for coming down. I really appreciate it. it. Appreciate it. Closets is on the internet at gayradiocollective.org slash archives, wcbn.org, and also on iTunes. Our engineer was Alex Belhaj. I'm David Christopher Meitzler. You've been listening to Closets Are for Clothes, and we are the Gay Radio Collective. Is this on? Can't really hear myself in the headphones. There we go. 
You are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Corey. The time is 7 o'clock, and I will be subbing in for Sermon through 9. Uh, the first track that I have here for you guys is one by an artist called Tune Yards, and the title of the song is Little Tiger. Stick with us. we got some great music coming for you. <laughs> 